Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Coming to you from the mecca of college football, Atlanta, Georgia. It is the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is one J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And we've got plenty to talk about here in the next hour or so and try to keep you folks entertained Try to keep your mind off of work, your mind off of stress, your mind off of anything that's been bothering you, your mind over the off of the traffic you're stuck in right now. Maybe you're uh, maybe you're on a treadmill and you need a distraction from the fact that you're just sitting there running in place and going nowhere. I, I get it. I get it. So here we are to go ahead and uh, take your mind off of all that stuff. JC, how's your mind today? How you feeling? Great. Uh, little. Uh little bit of a interesting weekend last weekend and uh, certainly looking forward to this weekend the air here in the south uh is a little bit cooler we have a little bit of a crispness in the morning mm-hmm. and that always gets me fired up for football for for some reason uh it's just been sticky and humid and hot for se- we usually have that one september weekend that's really mild which yeah. hadn't had that in the southeast this year um so certainly glad that that's coming uh, football weather, football season, um, that gets me fired up. It, it's it's an all-embodying experience when you're talking about college football. Yeah, we're about 10 degrees over the norm uh, here in Atlanta, which means we're probably about 10 degrees over the norm in South Carolina and Mississippi and Louisiana. Typically, the, the, the weather's not doesn't differentiate too much in those other southern parts. But, yeah, it's been a little hotter than normal. I'm with you. I, I I love that first fall cold that kind of kicks in right before a football Saturday. And then, of course, I'll wimp and cry when it gets too cold. And I'll say, (laughs) you know, that summer really wasn't so bad. Um, I really don't want to wear jackets, but uh, I want that happy medium. Hopefully we don't go straight from summer into the dead cold of winter, which has been happening a lot to us southern folks. I know if you're listening up north right now, you're like, what a bunch of wimps. And I get it. I am a wimp. I don't, I don't care. I admit it. My blood is thinned out over several, several years in the South and even more so living in South Florida for a time. So with that being said, we do have some hot teams in college football, and then we have some teams that are very much cooling off. I, I was just talking about this on a, on a talk show, JC, and that I really think, I, I mean, I know that if, if you're trying to, if you're in salesman mode, you're saying, oh, there's still 15 teams that got a chance at a national title. It, it's still wide open. I don't feel that way at all. I feel like we're down to about seven that even have a chance of the playoff at this point. You know, the, we had the major game of the weekend, which, by the way, lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was in Nashville calling the Vanderbilt game and quick prayers out to Christian Abercrombie, who's from the Atlanta area, who, who was playing for Tennessee State, who took a, a nasty hit against Vanderbilt and uh, 
we had a sideline reporter covering that and getting updates and it's a really scary thing. And obviously for the players on the field, it's, uh, it's hard to concentrate and even calling a game like that when you know that's going on and you're hearing about a guy who was carried off on a stretcher and getting emergency surgery. It's, it's always frightening. So pick quick prayers to him and his family still waiting for updates on that. I know he's still in uh, critical condition, but, um, I'm watching the Penn State Ohio State game over there uh, in the Music City, uh, surrounded by 37,000 Philadelphia Eagle fans. By the way, <laughs> they pretty much invaded Nashville, uh, which has come a long way. Big, big ups to the Gulch and the way that city has progressed. It, it goes to show you when you have a mayor of a major city that actually cares about the right things, uh, you can do some terrific things. Um, Maybe Atlanta can find a competent mayor to do the same. But <laughs> at any rate, um, I, I thought that I as watching that game, a couple things came to my mind. And, and Penn State had every opportunity to win that game. They caught Dwayne Haskins, who's a ridiculous talent. They caught him a little bit, I don't want to say rattled, but he was clearly off his game in the first half. I mean, they were doing all the right things. They were pushing all the right buttons. They made some big plays on offense. They had the lead. The crowd was insane. And then the second half in the fourth quarter, you know, you got a, a two score lead and you blow it. That to me was the bigger story. Uh, what everybody was focused on afterward is what the hell are you thinking on fourth down and five when you run a draw play and the play doesn't even involve the best athlete on the field for most of that game was McSorley and you don't even have part of the play. It's just insane. Um, so I say all that to lead to this. My bigger point is that to me, Penn State is pretty much done. They're off the island. If this is a game of survivor. Penn State's pretty much done. Stanford's pretty much done. We're left with Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia. Um, and then then you start really fighting. I mean, you could say West Virginia. Look at their November schedule, folks. They're not running the gauntlet on that. No way. No way, no how, no way. Uh, <laughs> if Michigan won out, they, they'd probably be in there. Look at their schedule. Good luck with that. So, I mean, we're down to about a half dozen teams, JC. And we're only in week six of the college football season. I don't know if that's necessarily good for college football, but to me, that's the reality. Yeah, I think Notre Dame uh, I, I'm sorry, Notre, has yeah, a chance to. They're definitely in there. I, I, uh, I forgot them because they're not in a conference, but, yes, Notre Dame is definitely which, in there. Which is weird because they, you know, I didn't think they were all that impressive their first three games. You know, I thought Michigan played poorly against that one, then the struggle with Ball State, and then the struggle with Vandy. And then all of a sudden, Ian Book takes over, and you're just scoring, scoring, scoring. I was I was surprised that they beat Stanford by three touchdowns. I mean, that was one of the – in a weekend of surprises, you know, that's, that's a big surprise. You know, Penn State, what they have to hope is that Ohio State loses to a Michigan and maybe drops, gets upset by somebody because – Obviously, in that division, you know, it is a game of survivor. Uh, I thought Penn State was very good. Uh, I, I think that they're a better team than I thought going into that game. But I also think uh, that Ohio State, when you look at that, you know, Haskins had the road start against TCU. They faced some adversity. He played well. That was really, for all intents and purposes, a neutral site game. There were probably 25,000 Buckeyes in the stands. Okay. That's, that's more like a bowl. 
didn't face anything uh, crowd-wise, noise-wise, like he did uh, at Happy Valley on Saturday. So I, I think that uh, that was a test he needed to pass. Keep in mind, you know, Dwayne Haskins has been in the program for a while, but he hadn't played a whole lot. Um, and so I, I thought that was big to pass that test. Um, I, I thought Penn State's offense played magnificently, rolling up, what, 492 yards against an Ohio State defense that's pretty dang stout. Um, you know, I'm not ready to bury them right now, but I do think for now they're off the island. They may have a rowboat that can get them back, <laughs> but right now I do agree. In shark-infested waters. Shark-infested yes. waters, but they're, uh, they're off the island for right now. Well, and, you know, keep in mind, too, one, uh, one other thing about Ohio State that makes this win impressive is that they did it without the number one pick in the draft and Joey Bosa. I mean, Joey Bosa is a game-changing talent, and they didn't even have him on the field, and they still found a way to win that game in front of 110,000 fans, uh, despite the fact that, you know, Haskins did not look good in the first half. He obviously bounced back well in the second half. I mean, they're that good. They are that good. If you, if you wonder why they were doing everything they could to keep Urban, My- Urban Meyer around, this is one of the reasons why they knew they had a national championship caliber team. And so they showed it. Uh, when you look at their resume, I mean, to me, it's as strong as anybody's right now. And uh, I'd be surprised if they don't come out of the Big Ten. And if they do, they're in real good shape for another playoff. Do you even want to take a guess at what the heck they were thinking on fourth down and five? No, I mean, I've, I've seen plays like that work before. All of a sudden you go to the draw and you're like, ah, you know, because everybody kind of, it's kind of the element of surprise, but you know, there's certainly going to be uh, angst and consternation and uh, second guessing on the part of Penn state people, because you're right. McSorley was brilliant in that game. And, you know, you're not going to ask him for one more play. I mean, I you know, so to me, uh, I get it. They do have new play callers up there with Moorhead departing for Mississippi State, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a lesson learned. Uh, I I probably would have done something else, but I, I've seen that work before. I mean, I, and, and then the, the announcers go, draw play. Oh, it's brilliant. So <laughs> the, the margin for yeah. error in this game is very, very thin and, you know, certainly I think it's something that can definitely be questioned. Uh, you know, kind of like it reminded me of a few years ago, Vanderbilt beat Georgia at Georgia Kirby Smart's first year, and they had a late fourth down or whatever, and they run kind of a reverse to Terry Godwin when you got Nick Chubb and the, or Sonny Michelle or those, those right. guys on the field. So it's not, uh, you know, you're like, why didn't you give the ball to your best player? So I, I think to insulate against that, sometimes you gotta you got to put it in the hands of your playmaker and let him go make a play. But certainly, you know, at times I have seen uh, calls like that work, but it's, uh, yeah. it wasn't meant to be. Again, I, I would – this is not 2020 hindsight because, if I mean, if we're playing a game of uh, Madden here or college <laughs> football live or whatever, and I, I got a choice of 20 plays – uh, you know, choice number 17 is the draw. And if I, if I dial that up, it better be with McSorley who was unstoppable the whole night running the football. So the, the play made no sense. It's not fourth down and two it's fourth and five. So that's, that's problematic. Number one. And then, you know, <laughs> I give James Franklin credit. He didn't what a lot of head coaches now do because the game is so, uh, delegated to coordinators so they'll just kind of, well, that wasn't my call. 
Uh, but you look, you're the head coach. You, you're, you wear headsets for a reason. Okay. Uh, play like that. If your offensive coordinator gets a little too cute, you got to, and this is, by the way, this is after multiple timeouts. You've got to go ahead and say, wait, 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 wait. I, I understand your passion. I know you want to be creative here. You want to outsmart the room, but me, James Franklin, veteran head coach, I say that's not the best call. Give me something different. That's what a head coach has to do in that spot. I, I just, uh, if you're sensing frustration, yes, I picked Penn State. No, I didn't have money riding on it. I don't bet. Uh, no, I didn't have a rooting interest in it. I really don't care. I'm not, I have no allegiance to either one of these teams. I just hate to see a game end like that. If you call the draw, I want to at least see McSorley fighting for those five yards because he was unreal the whole night long. So nevertheless, uh, I feel bad for Penn State fans that the game ended that way. I feel good for college football fans and that this was clearly the best game on the board, clearly one of the best games of the year, and it lived to every ounce of the hype. So that was fun to watch. Other games that you were focused on, JC, games that uh, struck you as you were enjoying life in front of multiple television sets, probably uh, enjoying some wings with a a hot to mild sauce uh, and a cool beverage in hand. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, I, like I said, I was very impressed with Notre Dame coming out and handling Stanford. I, I think Stanford's played some good football this year. Hard to get up two weeks in a row in two difficult environments. Um, I thought if st- anybody could do it, it would be the Cardinal, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. And I think Notre Dame now has kind of solved uh, their offensive issues. And with their def- defense being as good as it is, you know, look out. I mean, and, th- and their schedule is good enough to where, you know, they they run the table. There's no question they're gonna they're gonna be in the playoff. I mean, that's uh, uh, it, 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 you know. People can say it's not fair. They're not in a conference. They don't have to do this. And, and look, there could be, there could be some, you know, discussion about that if there are multiple undefeated teams. We hadn't really had that kind of deal uh, so far in the playoff. But uh, I, I just think that the team, if you look at the teams they play, they've played, uh, and the teams they've beaten so far, I mean, that's a, that's an outstanding resume. I mean, you, you know, you beat Stanford, you beat Michigan. Th- those teams are really good. They play at Virginia Tech this weekend. The Hokies are back in the top 25 after a get up off the mat. And I think we all knew Virginia Tech would do this. They got up off the mat and beat Duke like a champion, 31-14. Um, Notre Dame does have a Florida State game coming up later in the year. The Knolls are now 3-2. and two. That could help them, and they play at Southern Cal at the end of the year. The road game at Navy, October 27th, would kind of scare me. If I were the Irish, they also play at Northwestern. I don't think that's going to be a challenge. And then the mighty Syracuse Orange do come to South Bend November 17th. Uh, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this, leading into my next game, I, I was I know Clemson had some quarterback issues on Saturday uh, with Trevor Lawrence going out. Uh, I mean, it was like anything that could go wrong will go wrong. You lose Kelly, Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence goes out with a neck injury. First half doesn't come back. They're playing with Chase Bryce, their third stringer. Uh, Clemson got up off the mat and came back and won thanks to their run game and their defense. But I watched most of that game, Mike. Syracuse was beating them. Mm-hmm. Even even with Trevor Lawrence in the football game, Syracuse, veteran offensive line, veteran defensive line, they were getting a push. Eric Dungy played well. Um, they were getting turnovers. I mean, Clemson did not play well. But there's such a gulf between the talent with Syracuse and the talent with Clemson, you, you just don't expect that. Um, so I, I think Syracuse, if you look at the ACC Atlantic, 
is a legit football team. You know, I think those guys, NC State, Boston College, uh, those are going to be the teams that probably finish second in that division uh, unless Florida State somehow rallies and, and, you know, they they did beat Louisville, who's in the tank, uh, this past weekend. But if if they rally and maybe make something of their season, maybe they make some noise. But I thought thought Syracuse, you know, I looked at them and instead of going – you know, how bad was Florida State or how bad is Clemson playing? I thought I thought it was a good football team. So uh, hats off to Dino Babers uh, for, uh, you know, a spirited contest against the Tigers there in Death Valley. Colorado impressed me, uh, beating UCLA 38-16. UCLA's not good, uh, but the Buffs are 4-0 and ranked in the top 25 now. And the Florida Gators uh, going on the – I did not anticipate a 13-6 football game. Uh, against Mississippi State. This is one of those games where Todd Grantham's defense really worked. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, I thought that was a big win for Florida heading into LSU this weekend. I think Arkansas is getting better. Uh, Texas A&M, I, won't, I don't want to say struggled because that game at Arling, in Arlington is always close, but uh, 24-17 game there. I think Arkansas has got some positives now uh, to build on a bit. Uh, and very impressed with Kentucky beating South Carolina. I thought South Carolina played absolutely horribly in that football game. But, you know, that's what good teams do. When the other team plays horrible, uh, you know, you run it up to 24-3 at half, and then uh, if your offense stalls, you, you've got a nice cushion. Uh, I really think Kentucky uh, could win eight, nine, ten games this year, just looking at their schedule. So. Uh- yeah, I feel like I've been trying to sell people on Kentucky now for about three weeks, and I, I feel like I've been uh, – I feel like people, when I say that, I can, I can internally feel people shrugging their shoulders and saying, come on, it's Kentucky. It's, it's, it's not your typical Kentucky team because, again, they are stout on both lines of scrimmage. So th- th- it's not new that they've had a couple of dangerous, skilled players. Like, like Snell is, is legitimately good. He's not – He's not a great speedster, which is why he's not going to be a first-round draft pick. But he's—I mean—he's certainly a difference-making running back. But they've had—they've had other good running backs before. They've had other good uh, receivers before. The Randall Cobbs of the world. Heck, they've had some quarterbacks. They've had Tim Couch. What they haven't had typically at Kentucky is an offensive and defensive line that can beat quality teams in the SEC. They've done it against Florida. They've done it against Mississippi State. They've done it against South Carolina. And that's the difference. And that's something Mark Stoops, talking with him a few weeks ago, being up there, you could just tell that the the thing that he was excited about the most is that they were no longer going to have to win in spite of the fact that they were losing the point of attack. The point of attack is being won week in and week out by Kentucky. And nobody could have envisioned that going into this season. I mean, I got one kid and Allen is going to be a first rounder on that defense. The offensive line is not full of first rounders. They're just good as a unit and they're veterans. They're all experienced. Oh, by the way, Conrad is a really good blocking tight end. And then you have other guys in that defensive line that again, won't be first rounders, but are good enough. And they they're well coached enough. Well, they're just a tough out. Now they have all, all that being said, they're an underdog for a reason at College Station this week, and we'll get into this week's slate later on. It wouldn't shock me if Kentucky lost that game, but you're right. They are going to have a breakthrough year in year six of Mark Stoops. Uh, as I've said before, they don't look at it as, well, we're really good at basketball, and therefore we can't make a commitment to football. It's, it's just insane, uh, antiquated, narrow-minded thinking that you can't give – 
commitment to both sports and be good at both sports. Is there a ceiling for Kentucky football? Yeah. Yeah, you'll probably see it this year. Uh, But they've done everything right, and they've done everything right in keeping Mark Stoops and being patient with him as well. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. Closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. One more thing on that game, JC, is that I, am I wrong in looking at Jake Bentley and saying maybe he's regressed a little bit? I mean, I just, I saw him under throwing receivers. Granted, they had drops. Granted, they all played poorly on offense. But I thought in order for Carolina to win that game, uh, Kentucky can win games without Terry Wilson throwing for 172 yards. They could still win. Jake Bentley needed to be big time. And he was, he was not big time. And, and I'm wondering when does Jake Bentley get better to the point where he is what we thought he would be at this point in his career? Well, it's one of those things where it was his worst game of the season. You know, you look at the four games he's played this year, Coastal and Vandy, I thought he was really good. You know, the kid was good against Georgia. I mean, you know, you can't help it when your running back drops a pass off his pads and it's a pick six early. Um. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. They brought in Dan Werner to kind of fix some of his mechanics. And then in the game Saturday night, he he looked like he did in stretches last year when he was really struggling. And, and I almost think he's trying to do too much. Um, there were some plays where, you know, instead of forcing it way down the field, you know, maybe you want to dump it off or, or throw it out of bounds. Um, there were some plays where I thought, you know, Maybe he could have tucked it and ran and gotten yards and just lived to fight another day. And that's what good quarterbacks do. They live to fight another day and minimize mistakes. Uh, and it was just mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. You know, South Carolina on defense tightened up in the second half, held Kentucky to, I think, 75 yards for the whole half. Um, and the Gamecocks, you know, threw a 58 yard touchdown pass in the third quarter with seven minutes to go. And it's a two score game. Mm-hmm. Defense is playing well. Um, and then just mistake after mistake after mistake. I mean, he wasn't the only one. He had six drops happen to him yet again. Um, and then, you know, you have a running back that's running for a touchdown and he just trips over the grass. <laughs> um, and that kind of stuff has happened to South Carolina, particularly against the Wildcats the past two games. Uh, the last year in Columbia and then this year, just mistake after mistake. Nobody's having a good game. Um, and, and I think South Carolina and Bentley both need to, need to, need to bounce back this weekend against Missouri. You know, Missouri, I I don't know that South Carolina will beat Missouri this weekend, but I I do think that Missouri uh, is suspect on the defensive side of the ball. 
and that gives you an opportunity to, to get things rolling. I mean, I, I just uh, – it, it was – and I follow South Carolina as close as any program, and it just baffled me uh, that game. I mean, it just yeah. – and, and, you know, like, like I said, all, all credit in the world to the Kentucky Wildcats. They played very well. But South Carolina absolutely had their chances to get back into that football game uh, and to really be in it from the start. Um, you know, if their offense had just clicked a little bit, you know that term click, uh, you know, you have to click. And, and they just did not click at all for the second year in a row against this football team. Yeah, the only thing I would say uh, to Gamecock fans on the bright side, because I didn't have a good feeling about this game uh, in general, uh and, and look, Georgia, Georgia's got a very good chance of playing for a national championship. You don't have to apologize for losing to Georgia. I know the margin of victory is not what people wanted, but Georgia's just a better team, and that program is in an elite spot right now. Um, and Kentucky, I know it stings because you just feel like the natural order of things should be you're ahead of Kentucky. But for this year, this was not the year to play Kentucky on the road or at all. Next year, Kentucky, there's a good chance they take a big step back. Snell goes pro. Allen goes pro. Uh, they, they lose a lot of those guys in the line of scrimmage I just mentioned, and Kentucky falls back next year. From a roster standpoint, I could easily see that. But for this year, that's not an upset to lose on the road to Kentucky. I don't know. I can't remember what Vegas had it. Um, but that's that – to Yeah. Yeah, it was a pick them uh, pick em by game, the time yeah. said. And, and look, you know, Kentucky's a team. They're not they're not flashy, um, but they're stout. And 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 I'll say this: when you're coaching at Kentucky uh, or even Vanderbilt or, or whoever, you know, one of the programs that's not a traditionally successful program in the Southeastern Conference, uh, I think that's what you want to to build toward. Is okay, yeah, we're going to try to sit there and scratch out a bowl berth. And we want to beat Louisville every year, and we, we want to, you know, win some games within the league against teams we, we can. Um, and then we're going to redshirt guys and develop guys. And then, oh, well, every fifth year or so, we're going to have a bunch of seniors and juniors um, that are experienced players that are talented and guys like Josh Allen who are two-star recruits that develop into pros. And we're going to have a good football team. Um, and, and that shows you sometimes the fallacy – of buying into, you know, or, or, or buying into the notion that recruiting rankings equate success on game day because there's so many other factors that go into it, everything from injuries to game planning to players just not having good games. Um, and, I, and I think that's what makes it fun. I, I don't think we all need to sit there and look and go, well, Kentucky never had a class ranked above 30, and, you know, Georgia, uh, you know, always recruits in the top three, Therefore, when the two teams meet later this year, I think it's in Lexington too, um, you know, Kentucky doesn't have a chance. Well, no, absolutely Kentucky has a chance because Kentucky's juniors and seniors mm-hmm. are big, strong, experienced kids. And, and Georgia, Georgia's got their share of upperclassmen too, but they've also got a lot of younger, talented guys. So right. it's not always about talent in this game. Um, and, and I think that's what we're seeing with Kentucky. It's the year you build for uh, if you're Mark Stoops. Uh, from the day you took that job. And sometimes it just takes that long. And, and this was a team that went winless in the SEC his first year. It just took that long to get there. They're there now. Will they stay? Eh, who knows? But um, but for <laughs> excuse me, for right now, Kentucky uh, is a legitimate team 
Uh, by all accounts, I think second best in the East as things stand today. Yeah, not to the level of college basketball. <laughs> give that man, give that man a lozenge. Not to the level of college basketball where we see it all the time. Uh, well, take Kentucky for example, mm-hmm. a team full of, of blue chip McDonald's All American t- that are going to be lottery picks in the NBA, and they lose to a team that doesn't have a single NBA player, but it's full of juniors and seniors. It's never quite to that level because it's it's eleven people on the field. It's eleven on eleven, not five on five. But still, that does play a factor in, in some college football games. I think you're seeing that now with Kentucky football. Those veterans, and particularly veteran leaders like a Benny Snell. Are, are making a difference uh, just to finish the point on Carolina look it, it, you got to win Missouri at home but if you do what you're supposed to do the rest of the way it's the kind of season that I envision which is like an eight win team and then I, I don't think you have to apologize for losing to Kentucky or Georgia that might not make Gamecock fans feel well and I'm sure the message boards were light enough fire this guy fire that guy and but, but at the end of the day you, you kind of are where you're supposed to be this season in my eyes, in terms of the teams you've beaten and the teams you've lost to, and there'll be some critical swing games coming up. We'll see how that goes. Double back on a couple other things. Uh, on the case of the Mullen Bowl, I did expect Florida to score 13 points. I just didn't expect Mississippi State to, to not score more. <laughs> I mean, I, Florida's offense was what I thought it was and continues to be. Felipe Franks is what he is. Uh, but they scratched out a win because that Florida defense is getting nastier and nastier by the week. You mentioned their coordinator who didn't have such a great stint in Athens, Georgia, uh, but so far so good in Gainesville, Florida. And that's a big win. I mean, that is a, that is a turn the corner win for Dan Mullen because at the end of the day, beating an awful Tennessee team doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, but that was a game that a lot of people thought Florida would lose. Obviously, there's the personal situation for Dan Mullen to go back to Starkville where they were uh, calling him a traitor and everything else in the book. But still, uh, that, that's a significant win. Now we'll see if Florida can can double up on it and beat LSU at home, which I think is one of the more intriguing games of the weekend. We'll get back to that. And one final thing to double back on, Ian Book Give me the recruiting lowdown and tell me why it is I was watching Winbush play quarterback instead of this kid who clearly is a much better passer. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, Winbush – all right, Winbush has a very strong arm, and he's, he's multiple uh, in terms of, of being able to run the ball, uh, throw the ball, uh, all that good stuff. I, I mean, he, he was a very good prospect. I mean, I, I remember being out in Las Vegas – in spring of 2014, watching him throw at a seven-on-seven, and my man was chunking it, throwing darts, lasers, all that good stuff. I mean, this kid, uh, you know, had all the tools. Well, sometimes your tools uh, are a lot different uh, than being developed uh, as a quarterback. Um, you have to hone in your skills. It's different playing at Notre Dame than it is playing high school ball in New Jersey. Uh, Ian Book, kid from El Dorado Hills, California, Oak Ridge High School, mid-three-star guy, uh, committed early to Notre Dame. Uh, I don't know that anybody had him uh, high on the radar. He's only six feet. Let's say that that, that yeah, might be twice three stars. You know, but 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 look at the other schools that offered him. Boise State. And Washington State. That's it. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah, but but I'm saying, what do those two programs tend to do? They tend to take three-star level quarterbacks, maybe a low four-star level, and turn them into excellent players. Uh, and that's the case at Boise and the case at uh, Washington State with the Pirate. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of tells you something. And also, I'll say this, the state of California, there are a lot of guys like this uh, that play all positions, but especially at quarterback that I've seen over the years, you know, come out of that state. Maybe they don't have the hype. They end up going someplace, and maybe not as high profile as Notre Dame, and they end up just rocking it. I mean, you know, you can you can kind of look at a lot of examples from from the car kid out of Fresno State that ended up with the Raiders, um, the older car's younger brother. Um, you know, you can look at the guys that have played for Boise over the years. Uh, you know, they're just a lot of players that that sometimes the the California schools don't um, don't find, or the Pac-12 schools don't find. Or maybe a Pac-12 school, like if you were Arizona under Rich Rodriguez, you wouldn't have signed Ian Book. Um, and, you know, if you're Washington and you got Jake Browning and then Jacob Eason coming, you're not going to probably mess with him. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think that, uh, you know, you can find hidden gems like that. And, and, and the guy just blew up. I mean, he, he just – he's really, really good. And he fits what they want to do. See, I don't know – I don't know that Brian Kelly's offense – and they've tried it with some some dual threat guys over the years. Everett Golson uh, being one of them. I, I just I don't know that it's fundamentally a a offense that you need a dual threat guy. Um, I think I think I think you can use a dual threat guy, but I, I think that you need a guy that first and foremost is going to complete passes because it's a kind of a precision passing game. Uh, Notre Dame always has good receivers, always have a good offensive line. Um, you know, so, so I, I think that as far as scheme fit goes, you know, Wimbush obviously wasn't, uh, wasn't performing as well as far as fitting into that offense. And, and I think book fits like a glove. So, uh, here, here's another chapter in the lure of Notre Dame football. You got the three-star kid coming off the bench, beating out the elite 11 guy, leading the Irish to big victories. You know, I, I think we're seeing a mini trend. This is not a broad sweeping trend in college football. Um, you know, I, I know I've always talked about we, we got to a point in college football where in a lot of systems, the offensive playbook was dumbed down. It, it's a whole lot of zone read. It's a whole lot of RPO. The quarterback uh, has one read and one only in the passing game. He's not taught how to check down. He's not taught how to audible. And it's let's just take the best athlete, kind of like what we do in high school very often. Take the best athlete, put him behind center, and let him make plays with his athleticism. I think defenses, and you notice that doesn't work in the NFL. All those guys that try to do that in the NFL, first of all, they get clobbered uh, physically. And secondly, the defenses in the NFL are just too good for that to work. And the top quarterbacks year in, as much as people want to say the future of quarterbacking is guys that are so dynamic and they can run a four three and go, you look at the best passers year in year out in the NFL. And there are guys that can make plays in the pocket. If you got pocket mobility, that's even a bonus like an Aaron Rodgers does. If you're just a freak, but even Aaron Rodgers, how many times does he rush the football during the average Packer game? Two, three tops. Well, college football, I think we're seeing a trend. A lot of times the NFL falls college. I think I think uh, college is starting to follow the NFL in that 
you have to nowadays against better defenses. When you, if you want to win a national championship, that's where this really applies. If you want to be a, a college football playoff contender, you can't just have a guy run all over the field and have be a great athlete. That's a suspect passer. And I think we're seeing that trend hold form. If you want to know why Trevor Lawrence is starting at Clemson now, and I know there are a lot of people hoping like hell that backfired so they could just continue to bash Dabo Sweeney for making that decision. Uh, look, they almost pulled away with a loss because they clearly are not prepared for a backup situation. The Bryce kid goes in there and completes a huge fourth down and six and wind up winning the game. I wonder, as you're sitting there watching that, what Kelly Bryant is thinking as he's at home, presumably remote control in hand, um, that would have been his game to win. It, he would have been a hero. He would have been just fine. Again, I'm not criticizing him. Kid has every right to, to transfer. Uh, I try to think to myself, when I was 2021, 20, I probably would have done the same thing. But uh, I, I, I do think that that game, I couldn't help but think it. My goodness, this would have been Kelly Bryant's time to shine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I think we're, I think we're starting to, that cycle of quarterback play for elite programs that have a chance to do elite things. It's not just going to be a guy back out there. Who's a freakishly good athlete with his legs and continually running on third and long and making first downs. If you're playing great defenses, that doesn't always work. And it's starting to work less and less in college football. That being said, this kid at Oklahoma. (laughs) Now don't get me wrong. He can throw. I, I mean, I'm convinced and I know he's 5'10", and he's slight, and he's, you know, he's Russell Wilson in height, but he's not Russell. Russell Wilson's a thick body. Um, I'm not convinced Kyra Murray couldn't play in the NFL if he decides to, to, to hang around another year or maybe do the, the Chris Winkie route, the Drew Henson route, go play some baseball but doesn't work out, go back and, and give it the NFL a try. But regardless, as a college player, you're looking at a special talent and six touchdowns. I know it's Baylor. Six touchdown passes. He ran for another. You watch him play, JC. He's not just running around. He throws a great ball. Ball just explodes out of his hand. Uh, he is a lot of fun to watch, and he's he's the guy that could certainly put Oklahoma in the national championship hunt. Yeah, two two things on him. When he was a recruit in the state of Texas, um, one of my good friends, Jerry Hamilton, who works for ESPN.com, we were working together at the time, and Jerry's from Texas and really stood on the table for this kid as to what kind of special player he was, um, blah, 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 you know, just went on and on. And, and Jerry, you know, having worked with him, and he's one of my best friends in the world, uh, he's a guy that isn't going to stand on the table for a 5'10 quarterback if he's not really, really good. Number two, I talked with a source close to the Oklahoma program uh, a few weeks back, uh, I guess before week two, uh, and he told me straight up, you know, the, the buzz inside the Oklahoma program uh, from Lincoln Riley and everybody else on down was that Baker Mayfield was certainly a special player, but that Kyler Murray was extra, extra, extra special. They were extremely impressed with him uh, as to what kind of player he was. Uh, this does not surprise me at all that he is a uh, doing what he's doing and got a big game this weekend. So we'll see how he does in the uh, in the old rivalry game against the Longhorns. But I, I and I'll admit I was suspect because you watch him you watch him walk out on the field and you're like ah 
No way. <laughs> and then you see him throw it and you see him run it. I mean, you know, he played as a true freshman at A&M. Uh, knew nothing about the offense, clearly. You know, they kind of just put him out there, and he, and he ran all over teams and threw all over teams. Um, it, it, he's in a great system for his talent, um, and, and I think he'll continue to put up good numbers. And, and I think, quite frankly, he'll probably get into the uh, into the Heisman mix here before all is said and done. No question. Uh, I, th- I think he's already there in terms of if we were actually looking at Speaking of which, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um this was supposed to be the year where maybe the top Heisman candidates were actually running backs and not quarterbacks. This was kind of because we've got a trend now where it's almost every year, with the exception of a couple of Alabama running backs, that New York is just chock full of quarterbacks. And one of those quarterbacks is going to win the Heisman Trophy. And some would say that could get a little bit dry after a while. Well, I got news for you. Bryce Love, who everybody was kind of hoping that could buck that trend. He went from averaging over eight yards a carry last year at Stanford. He's down to 4.3. He is not winning the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, and I don't think he's healthy, Mike. I, I don't think yeah. he's, he's 100%. But yeah, no, you're probably right. You're probably right. Uh, and, of course, he's, he's had some injury problems in the past. So uh, if, you're, if you're just sick and tired of watching quarterbacks win the Heisman Trophy every year, you're going to be sick and, tired of again, sick and tired of it again. I'm a Heisman voter, and I start keeping tabs on this stuff about now. And find find me a running back that's going to be a top three candidate for the Heisman. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I know some guys who were supposed to be in that mix, but <laughs> I don't see one now. So it, it's going to be same old, same old come Heisman Trophy time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and, and I think that uh, if you want a front runner right now, head on down to Tuscaloosa. Uh, and uh, check out their sophomore quarterback. You know, I, I, I'm sure some Alabama fans listening to this saying, how come they're not talking more Alabama? It's because you folks have made this so anticlimactic. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying Alabama's going to win the title. I'm not, I'm not putting all my chips on the table and saying Alabama or bust. Alabama or the field. You know, it's about a 50-50 proposition, kind of like when Tiger was in his heyday mm-hmm. playing a major Tiger <laughs> of the field. You'd have to think about it. But Alabama's just that good. Like, there's, there's nothing to talk about. They're, they're just that. Tua is that good, which we've been talking about that since the offseason. Um, uh, their, their, their weapons are seemingly endless at receiver, at running back, on the line. Defensively, they lost all those guys. They're still dominating defense. Uh, Nick Saban will find something to complain about just to keep them motivated. They're as well coached as anybody in the country. They're the most talented team in the country and they have the best quarterback in the country. Do I need to say anything more about Alabama football than that? Uh, no, I, I, I will say this. Nick Saban called the Arkansas game this weekend a trap game. He said it was sort of a trap <laughs> game. I'm like, hey, no, oh, look, you got to love it. Like I said, the Hogs are getting better. They, they did some good things in a loss to Auburn. They did really good things against A&M, really gave A&M a battle. Uh, but they got a huge, huge test <laughs> this weekend against the Crimson Tide. And I just I don't know that that thing's going to be close. Yeah, Arkansas gives up uh, a touchdown in the opening kickoff of that game. I think they've given up three special teams touchdowns already, and they they showed a close up of Chad Morris after the kick was returned, and he just it, look on his face like, "What in the world did I sign up for?" Now, I, I agree. I think I think Arkansas will get back to 
well, at least where they were early Bielema days. I don't know if they're ever going to get back to Petrino days, at least not in the near future, um, and give them credit. I thought after that opening kickoff and just the body English, I was like, this is going to be a rout. And they made it a competitive game, much to the chagrin of, of Jimbo Fisher, who got so upset he's he's ripping players' face masks. But, um, uh, yeah, the, our Alabama can pick their score against Arkansas, and I think we we all recognize that to be the case. Uh, any other games this past weekend? I think we covered most of them. I can't think of much that slipped through the cracks. Anything else that caught your eye? No, no, that that was pretty much it. You know, I thought, uh, uh, I, you know, looking at uh, some of the mid majors, I, I did say I did think that Tulane, as far as their program goes, um, uh, I, I think Tulane had a big win, uh, beating M- Memphis forty to twenty four. So shout out to the Green Wave, or as my good friend, and I don't remember his name because he used to go on his show late at night uh, in two thousand five ish when I worked for Rivals dot com to talk recruiting. Uh, he called Tulane the Green Men, the Tulane Green Men. <laughs> I think he's an LSU guy. So um, shout out to the Green Men. I mean the Green Wave, and uh, good to see, good to see, you know, programs like that sort of, you know, get off the mat and have a big win. Because Memphis obviously is one of the better teams in the American, and uh, a good win down in New Orleans. I have a good friend that actually went to Tulane and is a huge sports fan. Now, Tulane's a tremendous academic school, and he got scholarship money to go there. Um, we used to make fun of him for many reasons, one of which he he wore a, a T-shirt his freshman year at Tulane. This is back when Two Live Crew was a big band, Luther Campbell, you know, right? I can't, I can't repeat any of the lyrics on this podcast because we encourage families to listen. Um but he had a shirt and it was like the cover of the two lane, excuse me, the two live crew band where like it was a bunch of women in bikinis and showing their oh, whatever. Yeah. Instead of two live crew, it said two lane crew. <laughs> We're just like, really, Pat? Really? <laughs> Is this the best you guys could come up with over there in New Orleans? Um, but for those that don't remember, like 10 years ago, their program was so bad. They were actually thinking of getting rid of football. They were actually, I mean, I mean, they were having like bake sales to, to raise money yeah. to, to keep football at Tulane. It, it, it was bad. After Katrina hit, too, because their university's located kind of down in, mm-hmm. in the area that it, it was bad. I mean, they. Right. And they used to play at the Superdome and all that. And then, you know, they built, they got, they raised some money. They built an on campus stadium. Uh, you know, Tulane used to be in the SEC back in the day. That's right. You know, they so, were, so is Sewanee. Sewanee and uh I've and seen Georgia Tech. I've seen Sewanee's football stadium and I don't <laughs> I don't even know that they play football there. Um a little tiny school up over a mountain ridge in Tennessee. But um, you know, Tulane, Georgia Tech were the teams that, you know, still play football that were in the Southeastern Conference and it you know, there there is some kind of tradition there. Um they have not been very good over the years, but hey, Mac Brown did coach there. Tommy Bowden did coach there. Um, Willie Fritz, their coach now, I think's got a chance to move on up at some point. But they, they, you know, they do care, and they're really, really good uh, at uh, baseball. Traditionally, they're a really good baseball they are. school. That's correct. So yes. um, we're once know. good at basketball too. Before a, point a lot of shaving. Uh, point shaving, yeah, <laughs> point shaving tends to set you back. By the way, when you were at Rivals, how many five-star kids wound up signing with Sewanee? 
Are we talking academic rankings? Because we didn't do those. <laughs> no, I, uh, it's, it's, it's called the Sewanee. It's the University of the South is what they call yes. it. And it's it's one of these real hotty-totty kind of private schools. But, yes. you know, back in the day, I guess Vandy and Tulane and Sewanee, you know, that was kind of the, the academic trio. They'd get together and uh, sip mint juleps and, you know, say things like, way to go, old chap, and yes. uh, smoke cigars and, I think you know, they still do that, Swan. And watch, uh, watch the the watch the old boys play on the polo grounds. Why don't yes. you? You know, but um, yeah, I guess Vanderbilt uh, missed the memo <laughs> as far as hey, we're getting out of here. Um, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I, yeah, I don't I think, think there's any Sewanee graduates that go to the Dollar General. What do you think? Probably not. They probably you think there's. Probably own the Dollar General. They probably own the probably own the entire chain. Exactly. Yeah. Since you mentioned um, Vanderbilt, I'll just say this in closing on this past week, as it concerns the SEC. Uh, Vanderbilt was fortunate to win that game against Tennessee State. Um, before that, they got blown out by a Gamecock team that we've seen struggle here of late. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, they got a senior quarterback in Kyle Shermer that might make the NFL and um, I, I, it, it's going to be tough sledding the rest of the year for Vanderbilt football. Uh, they were one in seven last year in conference. I, 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 a lot of people thought this might be their year where they could really somehow string to get not, maybe not a James Franklin nine win season, but at least like a, a bowl, a seven and five and sneak into a bowl game. They're going to, they got a lot of work to do if they're going to get to that point. Um, Ole Miss, same thing, just no defense. They, uh, they, they just, they, they look completely lost on the defensive side of the football. It's a shame because that offense is loaded. Uh, I'm here to tell you that's three first round draft picks on that offense. And I'm not even talking about Tamu, who's one of the better passing quarterbacks in this league. Uh, Tennessee, you know, Garantano at times actually looked like an SEC quarterback in that loss to Georgia. I will say that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they didn't give up and they played Georgia tight, you know, from the Georgia perspective, you and I are in Atlanta, Georgia fans are like, we look terrible. What's wrong. We should have beaten them by 40. Uh, we didn't beat them as much as Florida did. That's what they're saying in, in bulldog country and Tennessee country. I wonder if maybe there's a, just a, a glimmer of optimism. Like maybe Garantano can actually be the future. I don't know, but uh, he played better than I thought he would. So let me say that. Um, and then, uh, and then we didn't talk much about Auburn because they played Southern Miss. And I realized that game was probably completely under the radar, but it was, it was a lukewarm victory at best. And that offensive line for Gus Malzahn, I'm at, I'm convinced now it's just not getting any better this year. And so they're not good in the running game. They're certainly not Gus Malzahn, Auburn good. And Jared Stidham, who also could be a first-round draft pick at quarterback, I, he's struggling at times. That, that is an Auburn offense that is not looking like a team that we thought could compete for a playoff spot this year. I, I just don't see it. And, and you kind of are what you are come week five, week six. If you're not a good offensive line by now, I don't think the light bulb just turns on in like week nine. I think Auburn's gonna gonna have its issues with that, and that's gonna be a that's gonna be something that plagues them the rest of the year. Yeah, a big game against Mississippi State this weekend because both teams. I think the perception is they're struggling. I will say, last year after that loss to Clemson, 
Auburn goes and plays Mercer and wins a very pedestrian 24-10 to 10 game, and they got better as the year went on. Sometimes your offensive line does gel uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Sometimes a running back does step up. It's not universal, and, it, and I certainly am not necessarily disagreeing with you. Um, but th- there, there are some issues. You know, the t- uh, a very pedestrian win over Southern Miss – you know, but I feel like this this game against Mississippi State coming up this weekend, this is the type of game where, you know, Mississippi State, they're probably freaking out. They they got off to a great start, and then they've scored, what, 13 points the last two weeks uh, against Kentucky and uh, Florida. You know, so they, they need a win. And, and and they probably smell some blood, and, and, think they, and they've given Auburn fits over the years at times. And, um, you know, this is the type of game that – Auburn goes into and Auburn Nation is all like, well, I just don't know that, you know, I don't know. We're probably going to lose. And then all of a sudden you look up and Auburn goes down there and wins 38 to 7 or something like that. And then they get on a roll. Uh, So much of what Malzahn does on offense, I think, is about rhythm and timing and kind of getting momentum. And, and and when I've watched their offense this year, they just haven't been able to establish consistent rhythm and momentum. And look, I know they're not protecting Stidham all that well, but I still don't think he's playing that good. I agree. I mean, I, 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 I still think that, you know, he could step up and play better and all that. So Auburn, you know, their defense is still really good. Uh, and I do think Malzahn has proven over the years that there's times that his offense can get going if they're struggling. But I, I would have to right now say that, you know, they – they could be in some trouble, you know, and, and that's that's kind of tough to say when you're talking about a team that, you know, only has a one-point loss to the number five team in the country to its credit. But, you know, other than Washington, they hadn't really been challenged a whole lot. And I, I think we're going to find out a lot about Auburn this weekend against the Bulldogs. I think we just stumbled upon a subject, okay? Hashtag who can play better. We talked about Jake Bentley at South Carolina, Jared Stidham at Auburn, and I'm going to throw another SEC quarterback into hashtag who can play better. Nick Fitzgerald. Nick Fitzgerald has looked below pedestrian as a passer. He's looked downright bad. And look, this was my concern about Mississippi State coming into this season. This is why I was not on the bandwagon this year. The, the defense is undeniably good. The offense at times, going back to what I was talking about a while back, at some point, your athletic quarterback that can run all over the field has got to be able to make throws, has got to be able to be accurate on third down. The defense will find a way to make you a passer. Good defenses will. And Nick Fitzgerald, when he has been asked to become a passer in, in key spots this year, I mean, there are times, JC, where he's not just missing the target He's not just missing the bullseye. He's missing the target altogether. He's throwing ground balls. He's airmailing passes. He's throwing five feet wide to the left, wide to the right. I just haven't seen a progression there at all. And I realize the young man, I, and I, like I'm pulling for him because he had that gruesome injury last year in the Egg Bowl. He's a likable kid. He's a great story. Came to SEC Media Days this year. He's a, he's a good young man with a great head on his shoulders. And I'd love to see nothing more than it, to see him get a shot at the next level. But brother, if you can't throw the ball better than that, I don't know an NFL roster that that's going to save a spot for you. And more importantly for Mississippi state, how are you going to start winning big games against good defenses 
when every defensive coordinator in this conference is saying, make him a passer. We'll go ahead and we'll spy him. We know how terrific a runner he is. We're not going to let him bust off a 50-yard touchdown run, but we're going to make him throw and see if he can beat us that way. And so far, he hasn't been able to do it. Yeah, I mean, you can scheme him up. And here's the deal. He's not in the system that uh, he thrived in. I mean, that's the bottom line. We we all watched Penn State the other week. That that's the Joe Moorhead system, and and Trace McSorley did can hurt defenses with his legs, but also what is he? He's an accurate passer, and a lot of that's predicated on on being able to throw the football. And when you mentioned that earlier, uh, the first person I thought about was Nick Fitzgerald. Yep. Um, I think in Dan Mullen's system, you know, with with their emphasis on the power run with the quarterback, their emphasis on the power run you know, between the tackles and the way that with their short passes, they attack the perimeter with their skill guys, the diversity in their run game. You can mask that because Dan Mullen's system, there's a lot of window dressing. Uh, it is a, you know, you look at what Tim Tebow was able to accomplish in that system. Um, you know, and that's not to say somebody that can throw the ball like a Chris Leak couldn't thrive in it because he did too. But, um, you know, that power running element with the quarterback is lethal because, it, it, it the system is designed to spring that. I don't think Moorhead's system is designed to spring those types of things. I think it's much more of a passing offense first, and then you you know yeah it's great if you have a running quarterback and you could do this uh, whatever. I don't think it's a bad offense. I just I had questions going in if Nick Fitzgerald was going to be a fit because I, I knew he you know he's not the most accurate passer in the world, and you're talking about downfield passes and quick reads and stuff like that. He, he's going to miss some. Um, and so I, I think it's important for him to have a good game uh, against Auburn this weekend. But and if he doesn't, and I'm Joe Moorhead, I'm 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 probably sitting there considering looking at the backup a little bit uh, if he can throw and, and complete passes and maybe go into a two quarterback system. I know that sounds weird to say because Fitzgerald was talked about as being all SEC by a lot of guys in the preseason, and I think in the previous system he would have been. He'd have been fine. Look at Felipe Franks. He's fine. And he's not even the runner, half the runner Nick Fitzgerald is. Um, but I but I, I think that, you know, in Moorhead's system, you have to be able to throw the football. And if he can't do it, you got to get somebody in there that can. You can still use him in situations, uh, but it's going to be uh, awfully tricky with them um, as far as uh, the passing game goes if they don't. Interesting. Interesting take. Um and you're right. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened because it's you, you look at them statistically. I mean, they're they're near the bottom offensively in almost everything. They have not looked sharp at all. And the schedule is certainly not going to relent for Mississippi State. Auburn's a three and a half point favorite in that game, by the way. Some other games of note, uh, LSU, a two point favorite in the swamp at Florida. Uh, Les Miles, is he going to be wearing a visor? Is Steve Spurrier going to be eating grass? They got a friendly little wager on that one. If Dan Mullen really wants to convince people they've turned the corner in Gainesville, they'll win that game. And I'll tell you something else just to kind of be on the headline thing to look at in that game. If you really want to know if they're excited about football again in Gator country, take a look at the crowd. When you're watching that, that's a CBS game, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're watching that game on CBS at 3.30 and they're panning, they get those you know Goodyear blimp shots, is the upper deck full? Because you'd be surprised. I think people still think of the Swamp as one of the most intimidating venues in college football. 
Well, it was when Steve Spurrier was winning six, seven SEC championships, and it was when Urban Meyer was winning two national championships. But for the last three, four, five years, they've had trouble selling that out. They've mm-hmm. had trouble putting fannies in seats. There've been a lot of uh, exposed aluminum. So I'm, I'm gonna be curious to see if Gator fans actually show up. And actually pack that place out and actually have an intimidating venue like they used to. Is the swamp going to be the swamp again uh, against LSU? Now, if they win it, that's a ter- that's a big turn the corner moment. And all of a sudden, the hype train for LSU gets derailed immediately. If LSU wins it, they're six and zero. They're in the conversation for everything. And it's, okay, Joe Burrow, solution, great athletes, both sides. Coach O knows something about what he's doing. And everybody is, it, it's by you. Just keep on trucking. Keep on moving along. So that that's a very intriguing game. It didn't look like it would be so <laughs> a few weeks ago. Now all of a sudden, uh, that becomes easily one of the better games on the board. Yeah, there, there's no doubt on, on that. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think LSU's probably got a good shot at going in there and – and laying one on them, if you want me to be honest <laughs> yep. uh, about it. But, uh, you, you know, you never know. And and I've been doubting, you know, I thought Florida and Tennessee would be close. I thought Florida would get spanked at Mississippi State. So I've been wrong. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. Um, so so who knows? But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, look, let's, let's just look at LSU right now uh, in terms of, you know, what they've got coming up. You go to the swamp this weekend, and I'm with you, Mike. When the swamp is full and rocking, it's 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 one of the best venues in the SEC. It probably is up there behind LSU and Jordan Hare, uh, to me personally, a, a, as two of my top ones. Um, in fact, if I were ranking it on history and body of work, I'd rank the swamp right behind Tiger Stadium as a tough venue because it's mm-hmm. very steep. It's kind of down in a hole. It's loud. They have a million little funny cheers that they do. Um, I mean, they do. They have Florida has just a million little cheers. Everything from Mister Two Bits to We Are the Boys. I mean, it's it's a you know it's located uh, about an hour and fifteen from Walt Disney World. Uh, you know, if you were you you could do a dark ride on a boat at Disney with uh, you know a, a, an animatronic Steve Spurrier going, "Hey, welcome to the swamp!" at the beginning and, and go through all the different things they do. Like it's a small world. Florida Florida's like that. I mean, and it's great when it's packed, but when it's not, it it's just, you know, very pedestrian. So, after the swamp, LSU has Georgia coming to town to Baton Rouge, right. 3:30 kickoff the next week. Then Mississippi State, then a week off, and Alabama comes to town. So three of the next four are going to define LSU season. So I, I think that's uh, that, that's the deal. The three of the next four games, and then you can't trip up. And just in case Nick Fitzgerald, you know, learns how to throw the ball, and Mississippi State comes to Baton Rouge and plays their butts off on defense, and, and you can't score. You know, you need to make sure you're up for that one. But I, I think you know th- those games are going to determine it. Um, you know, as far as whether we're talking playoff SEC chance at an SEC title for the Tigers uh, in the coming months or whether we're just talking about, um, hey, you know, they may get to the Music City Bowl. Auburn, Mississippi State, we referenced a bit. I, this to me is, uh, and if I would label it, and this is what we do love about the college football regular season because 
a, a single game in early October can mean so much. I think the loser of this game, fan base is going to be miserable miserable because Mississippi state will be staring at one of the most disappointing seasons in school history. Remember that's a team that a lot of people picked as a dark horse contender in the sec as a team that could very easily win 10 games. You lose that one and you look bad doing it on offense again. And it's, it's really lights out in terms of what you hoped for to be a good season. It's not going to be anything close to that. And if Auburn loses, and again, they, they continue to struggle on the old line. Then it's, it's obvious uh, to use a, uh, a modified version of the old Dennis green quote. Uh, they are not what they, what we thought they were. Uh, we, we thought Auburn was a team that could compete for a national championship or at least a playoff spot. You lose that game. You're, you're neither one. So that's a, a big game for a number of reasons. Auburn, a, a three and a half point favorite. And that one, those two are, are the you know the headliners in the SEC? You mentioned South Carolina, Missouri. We talked about the importance of that game, uh, particularly for uh, South Carolina. Uh, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, sneaky, dangerous game for Notre Dame. Coming off another good win, book is everybody's on the book train, and there's old Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion a couple weeks ago. What what happened to Virginia Tech? Well, they got their wake up call. It blew out Duke, and it's at Lane Stadium. And not too many teams go into Lane Stadium as a six-point underdog, excuse me, as a six-point favorite, and actually hold on and cover. That's what Notre Dame is facing there. Uh, sneaky good game, Texas A&M minus six over Kentucky. Kentucky's got to be saying, you remember us? We're, we're undefeated. We, we had these quality wins. You're making us a six-point dog against A&M? Hmm. Uh, so you, you could certainly play the we-don't-get-no-respect card if you're U.K., and that one, Oklahoma, Texas. Oh, Tom Herman. Oh, Tom Herman. If you really want to make a statement that Texas football is back in year two of the Herman era, pull off an upset in that one in the Red River. Can we call it a shootout anymore? We got to call it rivalry. Uh, check with the PC police on that one. Miami, a 13 point favorite against Florida State. Can Willie Taggart do something right without Bobby Petrino doing something even worse to help him win a game mm. and Utah Stanford a sneaky good game in the Pac-12 any thoughts on those particular contests well you know I, I think that the Hokie Nation probably is feeling a lot better this week after the win against Duke and Duke Duke had not played a bad football game all year and Virginia Tech goes to Durham and beats him had to be scary I you know are they going to have enough to beat Notre Dame? I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, th- this is a big game because, you know, Notre Dame, this is one of those rotating ACC games that the Irish have to play. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, that yeah, they haven't been – Notre Dame hadn't played at Virginia Tech in a while, if ever. So it's, it's going to be a big game in the hills of southwest Virginia. Um, and that's a tough place to go play. Uh, so we'll see uh, – Ultimately, what happens, my feeling is that uh, it's somewhat of a trap game for the Irish, uh, and it will be closer than the last two weeks because, you know, Wake was a game where they everybody went, oh, Wake's doing good. If Notre Dame struggles on offense, Wake could beat him, beat him 56-27. And the next week, oh, Stanford's battle-tested. This is going to be a tough game for Notre Dame. Well, 38-17. Well, then the, the script kind of flips because now you're like, oh, Notre Dame's really, really good. And they got to go play Virginia Tech, um, who's been good with the exception of one game this year. So that that's kind of a trap game. 
if if Texas can beat Oklahoma, look out. Because at that point, you're like, wow, Tom Herman, you know, they used to lose to TCU every year, beat them, you know, beat up on SC. Now they've beaten Oklahoma, which in that game, sometimes, Mike, the underdog will win. I mean, a lot of times. Yeah. Charlie Strong pulled it off a couple times. Yeah. It, it's not out of the question that they go up there and win. Uh, huge game for Tom Herman. Um,. You know, FSU Miami's always big. My neighbor back in Greenville before I moved was a big Miami fan, so uh, doesn't like FSU at all. He's probably heading down to, you know, South Florida for the game this weekend. And, and I, I, you know, can it be close? I don't know. You know, Miami was awfully impressive against North Carolina. I know North Carolina's terrible, but, you know, 47 to 10, I, I just don't know uh, what the deal is there. Utah Stanford is a game that a couple weeks ago I had circled, not so much anymore. Um, you know, and so I think that whereas there's not the headliner this week, there's a lot of intriguing things. I mean, we we've talked, Mike, in week three and week four about, oh, we're going to learn more about this team and we're going to learn more about that team as we move forward. I think this is like put up or shut up Saturday, you know, because you can kind of see if Auburn doesn't beat Mississippi State, they're essentially out of the division. Um, and, and all of a sudden people are talking about what the heck's wrong with Auburn. Um, you know, we mentioned South Carolina, Missouri. I think a loss for either one of those two teams, even though I don't think either is in the division hunt right now uh, with, with, you know, being back or, or whatever, you know, th- then we're kind of talking about minor bowl. Um, you know, Texas, we've been talking about how impressive Texas has been for a couple of weeks now. They sort of struggled at Kansas State, but they always do. At least they won. You know, they can pull off this upset – all of a sudden you're talking about them, you know, not only, you know, having a chance to maybe go play Oklahoma again for the Big 12 title, which would be awesome, um, but you're talking about the rise of the Longhorns under Tom Herman, and that loss to Maryland is starting to look smaller and smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror. Um, you know, and, and then think about if Florida State and Florida can get wins this weekend. Think about the narrative about all the Florida schools except Miami a couple of weeks back about, you know, Florida's not very good. Kentucky beat him for the first time in 31 years, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then, oh, FSU's terrible. You know, the Knowles and Gators get wins this weekend. That changes the trajectory of their season and the narrative surrounding their program. Um, and then, you know, a sleeper game that I have this weekend's Boston College, NC State, uh, just because I'm curious to see if Syracuse does end up finishing second in the Atlantic, or will it be BC or the Wolfpack when all is said and done? I like that. Um, I do think we're going to learn a lot more about the overall just kind of trajectory where a lot of these programs are going. And uh, again, I, I still don't think there's a ton of teams that legitimately have a shot at the playoff. If you want to just look at it in those terms, and thankfully we don't, because if we did, it'd be boring. Um, college football is like Teflon in, in my, in my mind. And that despite the fact, for example, they had the, the absolute most embarrassing form of a postseason for a century in the, in the history of athletic competition, we, we, we still loved it. Right. I mean, we still loved the game. We hated the system, uh, but we still were able to overlook that. We're able to overlook the fact that we've got a premier power in Notre Dame doesn't even play in a conference. We're able to overlook that the fact that, um, you know, now we, we do have a playoff. We've got five major conferences. Well, five can't fit into four. So somebody always gets left out and sometimes two leagues get left out. Uh, but 
I do. I am a little bit concerned overall about if, if 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 it could become a little stale if we are talking about the same, you know, half a dozen to ten teams every year, and everybody else is just competing for the other games, the Capital One Bowl, the Chick Fil A Bowl. The, the, uh, that's fine. Those it doesn't mean anything less to those fan bases to participate in those things. But I I I hope we don't get to the point where by week seven we already have narrowed it down to like six teams, and everybody else is just not even in contention for the playoff. I'll tell you, here's the nightmare scenario, right? There's a contract for this current playoff. What has it got, like eight years left in it, something like that? Mm-hmm. The nightmare scenario is Notre Dame keeps doing what Notre Dame is doing, right? And the SEC, once again, clearly the best league in college football, gets not one but two bids. Let's just say hypothetically uh, – Alabama, Georgia. I don't know if that's going to happen, but let's just say hypothetically, because a lot of people are convinced those are clearly two of the top four teams in college football. So if you had two SEC teams and you had Notre Dame, so now we need a fourth Hmm. team. Let's just say hypothetically it's Clemson. That means you have shut out the Big 12, the Big 10, the Pac-12. We've already shut out two leagues before, a la last year. If we get Notre Dame in this thing, and two more from one conference again, three of the power five conferences will be watching the playoff on television. Mm. That could be the fastest way to remedy only four teams and get to six or eight, because there is going to be holy hell to pay from a PR standpoint. And everybody will be irate. Uh, Not everybody, but obviously folks that are fans of those three leagues or anybody involved with them, will be irate about the exclusion of so many of the so-called uh, pillars of the college football community. Just just a little food for thought. Might not happen, but as we sit here in early October, it is a possibility. Yeah, and I think it's also a possibility we have the same four teams we had last year. Which, <laughs> yes. Which, I mean, look, and, and this, is, this is why you mentioned the staleness. When Clemson and Georgia, their first years, and Georgia's first year was last year, and Clemson's was, was 2015. When those teams broke through, you know, I, I think a lot of the country was kind of behind them. You know, ah, Georgia, you know, because because it, it's it's just it's an Alabama world we're living in right now. Alabama has sucked the oxygen out of the room in a lot of ways, um, and that's not to say they've won the title every year because they haven't, but they're right there every year. So you know they're going to be there, um, and and I think that Alabama, Ohio State. Georgia, to a lesser extent, Clemson and Oklahoma, those five programs have also sucked the oxygen out of the room as far as recruiting goes. I I think that they are signing, you know, not just star rating wise, but they're signing a higher quality player than anybody else. And they're they're You know, people want to know what's wrong with the Florida schools. (laughs) Go look at the top players from Florida on other rosters, especially some of the powerhouses, especially Ohio State, Clemson. Um, look at Georgia or DeAndre Baker's. I mean, you know, look at look at that. And Alabama, the more that happens every single year, the more those kids aren't going to Florida, Florida State, Miami, and the more those schools are going to be lesser. So, I, you know, what's the answer to it or to expand the playoff? I, I don't know. I think it's going to take an Armageddon-type scenario where you're right. Let's say you have Bama, Georgia, Clemson, and Notre Dame. That's essentially two ACC. Notre Dame's not an ACC school, but they are. Um, two ACC, two SEC schools 
uh, and and the whole entire rest of the country is just going, wow, this this is this is terrible. Because I, you know, I personally think whoever comes out of the Big Ten East is going to have a big argument. Um, I think if Texas continues to play well, and you know maybe TCU can kind of turn it back, and you know you got Texas Tech who's good, Oklahoma State. I, I think the Big Twelve has a stronger argument this year than in years past. Uh, still really worried about the Pac-12. They need Oregon to get back in a hurry, and they need SC to get back. But um, I don't know. You know, I, I think I think it's going to be fascinating. And if your scenario does take place, I think that's the quickest way to get to a six-team playoff. Yes. Um, uh, and 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 quite frankly, I don't know that that's a bad deal to get six teams. You guarantee the you know the the Power Five conference champions throw a wild card in there. I know the group of five people are going to want to go to eight because they want access, but I quite frankly need, think they need to have their own playoff um, and leave the, the the whatever to the big boys. You know, maybe they go to eight. I don't know. But uh, six seems like a logical next step if that Armageddon thing happens. Uh, without question, I'm with you on the group of five. I, I think they will get to the point where they realize – all the hollering from the mountaintops that they belong is not going to make a difference. They will formulate their own playoff. It'll be just like the FCS playoffs and the D2 playoffs and the D3 playoffs. Uh, it'll be nationally televised. It'll give you some love. It'll put some more money in the coffers. Uh, that's where you need to go. Um, I'll say this in, in closing on, on Florida State, Miami. As someone who spent a good amount of their childhood in South Florida, this used to be the game. But it wasn't just the game in the state of Florida. It was the game nationally. The amount of talent that was on the field when Florida State played Miami back when it was Jimmy Johnson and Bobby Bowden and Dennis Erickson, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s, the talent that was on that field surpassed the likes of Ohio State, Michigan, surpassed the likes of, uh, take your pick, Southern Cal, Notre Dame. You look at how many guys were on the, went on to the NFL in some of those matchups. It was ridiculous. You had wide wide uh, left, wide right, you know, for Bobby Bowden. You have, I mean, all the, you know, it's so many signature moments and ridiculous talent. Uh, somebody kind of called me to the carpet the other day, JC. I said, Mike, you, we've missed your Hollywood analogies when it comes to college football. How come no more? Where's the Ed Norton? Where's the Helen Hunt? Uh, uh, where's the Marissa Tomei? Okay, fine. Here, here's one for you. Florida State, Miami used to be Bob De Niro, as I like to call him because we're pals, uh, for the rest of you, it's Robert De Niro. Used to be Robert De Niro in his prime. You know, in like a five-year span, the guy did Godfather 2, Taxi Driver, The Deer Hunter, and Raging Bull. Florida State, Miami today, or really the last decade or so, it's more like Robert De Niro in the 21st century, or more specifically this this decade. Movies like Dirty Grandpa kind of summarize where Robert De Niro is now, uh, which, by the way, I actually saw in a movie theater. And if ever there were a case where not only should you get your money back, but also they should give you a free bucket of popcorn on the way out, that's how bad Dirty Grandpa was. So Florida State, Miami is modern-day Robert De Niro when it used to be Godfather, Heat, Raging Bull, I, I hope that someday it gets back to much like Florida, Tennessee, much like all these great rivalries that have kind of hit hard times. 
I hope we get back to old Bob De Niro and not dirty grandpa Bob De Niro. There you go. There's your Hollywood analogy. I'm bringing it back, and I'll try to come up with one every week here on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Something else I'm going to try to come up with is another way to tell you how great BP Skinner Clothiers is because they are just that good. At BP Skinner, they're building the reputation of the perfect fit of trust, quality, service, and style. Excellence is their passion. And I'm going to tell you, part of being smart is knowing what you don't know and, and dealing with people that are the experts, finding people that are just really good at what, they're, what they do, and that's who you go with. I've got myself a good doctor. I got myself a good dentist. I got myself a good real estate person. I know how to find people that are really good at what, they're, what they do, and that makes me look smarter. Brent Skinner is exceptional at what he does, and he will make you look smarter and look better with the great clothing that they offer. Again, he will come straight to your house like he did mine here in Atlanta, go over everything you need, custom fit you for suits, clothes, accessories, and you will look a hell of a lot better now. I don't care how good you look now. You're going to look a hell of a lot better when Brent Skinner is done with you. That's why so many people from all walks of life all across the country, go to Brent Skinner, and you can too. Go to bpskinnerclothiers.com to set up an appointment for him to come out to you. That's bpskinner, S-K-I-N-N-E-R, clothiers, a word that we don't use every day, C-L-O-T-H-I-E-R-S.com. JC, final thoughts? Well, just looking forward to another weekend of college football. Um I uh, want to invite everyone uh, who is a South Carolina or maybe even a Missouri fan out to uh, the thebigspur.com official watch party uh, this weekend at Dive Bar in Buckhead. Come on out for drink specials and uh, some outstanding company at Dive Bar Buckhead uh, for the Gamecocks in Missouri. We'll get cranked up about 11.30 a.m. It's a noon game, so they'll have Bloody Marys, mimosas, whatever you need to get over Friday night. Yeah, uh, I'll have that out there at Dive Bar. So uh, come out there and, and check us out. Also, want to thank uh, one of our other sponsors, ATS Sportswear, uh, for all your custom needs, uh, whether it's screen printing, T-shirts. Uh, you know, if you're having a if you're on a softball team and you need to get uniforms made, uh, I know that they do a lot of stuff with like uh, your daughter's cheerleading. Uh, competition, youth cheerleading, they, they make uniforms for that. Uh, give my boy Stephen Gravely a shout uh, via email. It's sgravely, S-G-R-A-V-E-L-Y, 1967 at gmail.com. Or text him or call him, 864-346-3401. Go to their website, atssportswear.com. If you tell them JC and Mike sent you, you get 15% off your order. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it. I don't feel any upsets this weekend. That's weird because mm-hmm. this is the first weekend I've gone. Don't think there'll be any upsets um, because there's really not a lot of games where you – I mean, I guess Texas-Oklahoma would be an upset, but it's the Texas-Oklahoma game. So, so I think that's a little bit strange about this weekend. So I'm going to go and make a, a prediction before we go off. I'm going to say we will be talking next week about – a game that we did not talk about today that's a huge upset. I don't know what it'll be, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think that there will be one. That's just that's my gut feeling heading into this weekend. Now, I'll tell you this. My gut's been wrong most of the year, uh, so don't listen to my gut. I probably shouldn't listen to it as much as I do either, but uh, that's kind of my feeling heading into this game. I like it. I like it. Can I offer you one suggestion on the uh... – on your uh, your your appearance at the dive bar 
this weekend yes. in Atlanta. Yes. So I, so I've been in Atlanta now almost a decade and Atlanta's not just the Mecca of college football. It's the Mecca of the sec. Right. So, I mean, I've seen not just Georgia fans. I've seen fans of every sec school. I mean, they're all over, all over the place. You see license plates, you see car flags, you see t-shirts, signs in the front lawn. I have yet to see in nearly 10 years, anybody in Mizzou garb. Okay. Minus the time they were in the sec championship game. That doesn't count. I mean, an actual Atlanta resident that is a Mizzou fan or alum. So Maybe you can buy a Mizzou. Now, you can't just be a Gamecock fan saying I'm a Mizzou fan. You actually got to be like decked out in Mizzou gear. Maybe you could buy that Mizzou fan a drink. Uh, yes, uh, and, and with the exception of the one young lady that did show up wearing tiger ears and had her face painted like a tiger, I believe <laughs> it was in week two when South Carolina played Georgia. Um, I mean, really uh, good-looking little costume, but was a Mizzou fan. So if that's if you show up, I've met you before. But yeah, just a randomly new Missouri fan. Certainly, I'll uh, I'll hook you up if you come on out to dive bar. I like it. Good stuff. We're we're making relationships here on the podcast. Uh, we are over time, but we had fun doing it. JC enjoyed it as always. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, sure will. Looking forward to it. And that'll do it for us for now. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. See you next week on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.